Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. My name is Andrew. I'm one of the elder candidates here. Um, We'd like to extend your welcome to City Light North Adelaide. Thank you for having for Cheryl for coming and sharing with City Bubble Forum stuff. I'm really looking forward for City Light to actually partner with this organisation more. And I really encourage you if you are in the working class to, or even if you're just a young graduate or, or about to graduate, look into City Bubble Forum. I think this is going to be a really great opportunity for you to meet with other Christians who are in the same kind of workspace, kind of workplace kind of space as you, but also be able to pray for your work colleagues and and work and, and think evangelistically as well. Um, if you are visiting with us here today, we are in our second week of something called Mission Month. We've just done 18 weeks on Isaiah, second week into Mission Month. And um, in Mission Month, we're looking at missional opportunities that God has placed in front of us to take part in. Um, before, before we start today, um, I want to just ask you one quick question. You can feel free to talk for the next 30 seconds amongst yourselves to your neighbor. What is your favorite day of the week, and what is your least favorite day of the week, and why? And we'll come back. Go. You have 30 seconds. Favorite day of the week, least favorite day, and why? Awesome. Favorite day of the week. What's, what's everyone's favorite, favorite day of the week? Just give me a shout out, anyone. Friday. We have a Friday here. Monday. Sunday. Why Sunday? Yep, turn our attention to the Lord on Sunday. Great answer. Why Friday? So Nick, you said Friday? Yeah. yeah. Why Friday? Because it's the end of the working week. End of the, end of the working week. Yeah. Classic. All right. Um, least favorite day of the week? Monday. <laughs> Classic. Classic. Just Monday is like the, the, the typical answer for this kind of thing. I was, I was expecting that as well. And, but today we're talking about mission at work. And what does it mean to, to be on mission at work? What does it look like? How do I be on mission at work without being a weird Christian? <laughs> and I ask you about the, the least favorite day of the work, not because it's a gotcha guilt trip kind of thing, um, but it's all around us. Monday is the least favorite day of the week. Because why? Because of work. Uh, I haven't done the work, but if you, if you are, I would argue that if you ask most people on the, on the street, they would say that Friday is the best day of the work. Um, if I was a betting man, if you ask most Christians in the Western world, they would also probably say Friday is the, is the best day of the week. And why is that? Why is Monday the worst day and Friday's the best day? It's because, well, work is sometimes hard, right? In reality, most of us do jobs that we kind of just tolerate a little bit, to be honest. Um, I I don't think many of us wake up in the morning at 6 a.m. and think like, yep, sunshine, rainbows, everything's going to be sick today. Most of us probably don't think that when we get up. It's probably cold and dark, and I don't want to get out of bed. and I work as a, I work as a physio, um, and between my Christian clients and my non-Christian clients, this, this mentality of living for the weekend is actually, it's pretty rampant, right? It's pretty, it's pretty common between non-Christians and Christians. 
Um, and this idea of working for the weekend is somewhat, it's been furthered by, in pop culture. Uh, in 1981, there was a song ca called Working for the Weekend by the Canadian pop rock band Loverboy. If you don't know what that song is, if you, for all you non-80s kids, um, if you've seen the Ben Stiller film, 2002 Ben Stiller film, Zoolander, how he's in, the, he's in the, the coal mining scene, and it's like, everybody's working for the weekend. That's, that, that's the song, right? Right. And nowadays, you have this term called Friday. What is Friday? Well, it's an amalgamation between Friday and yay, Friday, right? And I have this contraction with myself, with, with myself and a few other friends. We don't actually say Friday, we say Fryas, which is an amalgamation between Friday and Yas, Fryas, because Friday is so good, right? And I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. I'm guilty of this Monday morning sucks mentality and Friday is the best day. And it's the same outside of the church and it's the, and it's the same within, within the Western church particularly. We don't like doing work. We know we shouldn't be bashful about work, but we, but we are. Most of us, to some degree or another, we, we really struggle with work, let alone being on mission at work. But the Bible definitively has something to say about that. So much so that we could probably spend an entire month looking at working and mission. So what we're going to do today, what we're, where we're headed tonight, if you're, if you're a note taker, um, our main text today is Genesis 1, Genesis 1, 26 to 28, and our three points are... Our work is our mission. Our work gives us opportunities for evangelism. And our work is to glorify God. I'll say that again. Our work is our mission. Our work give us, gives us opportunities for evangelism. And our work is to glorify God. Um, let's pray and um, see what God has for us. Eh? Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your word that's been given to us, that you've breathed into it, that it is profitable not just for life, but it is knowledge for salvation and knowing for who you are. Lord, I, I pray that you help us see, open our eyes to your scriptures, let us hear with our ears and our hearts and be attentive to your voice tonight, Lord. Lord, let the words that I speak today not be my words, but your words. I humbly ask that you work through me tonight. Let your truth, the truth, be spoken and heard tonight. Melt our cold hearts and help us to be responsive to your spirit. Let us help us to not just be hearers of tonight's word, but to be effectual doers. And I pray that the, the words of my mouth and the, the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. And we pray these things in the majesty of your name. Amen. All right, so let's read, the, uh, we'll read Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Well, I think we can have it on screen here. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the sea, of fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and every other living creature thing and every, uh, over every living thing that moves on the earth. If you're in the DG um, here at City Light, you, this might sound really familiar. Um, we've actually talked about this this week in our in our DGs. We talked about crea- uh, we talked about the creation account in Genesis one and two, and the creation account is is primarily talking about God creating the known universe. He is the creator of all things. In your DGs this week, you would have gone through the first of this series we've we've, we've called God's Big Picture. Uh, this wasn't planned, but it's, uh, it's Pretty providential in timing, I think. And it, we looked at the, this thing called the pattern of the kingdom, how God designed things in the beginning and the pattern it was meant to be, how things were originally meant to exist. And in this little section that we've read here in 26 to 28, um, and you can also see in two, chapter 2.15, you have this thing called the, what theologians call the cultural mandate. And what does, what does the cultural mandate say? Well, firstly, the cultural mandate says that we are to look like God. God makes mankind out of his own image, in his likeness, that we are to be like him. You might have heard the term that we are, in his, we are his image bearers. Humanity was designed to bear the image of God, to look like God. It's not, not to be God, there's a big difference between that. Not to be God, but to look like him. It's much like how kids look like their parents, but they're not their parents. Not to be God, but to be his representatives on the earth. We are to look like God. The cultural mandate secondly says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's interesting. God gives Adam and Eve this fun little activity to do, be naked and all ashamed, unashamed, to have kids and to fill the earth with his people, his representatives to fill the earth with his image bearers all over the place. Now, now think about this for a second. This is, this, is the, this is the ingenuity of God. He could have just put people everywhere, right? He could have put people everywhere. But God designs and gifts humanity with this thing called procreation and, and sex. And I don't know firsthand, I've heard it's all right, but... <laughs> For you all married folk, God's like, you're welcome, right? It's, it's a gift for you guys. That's the cultural mandate, to for, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And thirdly, the cultural mandate says to, to, for us, to, for humanity, to, to subdue creation and have dominion over it. But you might be thinking, subdue what? If, we, if, we, if you've read Genesis 1, it says that everything was good. It, God would create something, it would be good. God would create something, it would be good. And you have this pattern. And so what would you need to subdue? Why, why would you need to subdue good creation? If it was really good, why did it need that? The thing is, when we hear the words dominion or dominate or subdue, we think of negative or oppressive or abusive connotations. We think that subduing is a bad thing. But let's think about this for a second. God is, who's God telling to subdue and have dominion over creation? He's telling people made in his image to look like him. 
who have no sin, who have not had any, uh, who have not come out of the curse of the fall yet. God is saying to his people, be like, because you are like me, have dominion and subdue the earth just as I would. And that's, same, that's, that's the same for us. We are to creatively cultivate and responsibly rule just as God would. We are to creatively cultivate and responsibly rule just like God would. And this applies to all of humanity. We must not just see and acknowledge this, but we must wholeheartedly embrace and live out what it is to be human, to work. That's what we are designed to do. And now you might be thinking, okay, Tran, this, this sounds a bit odd because I'm pretty sure you've preached in the past that the reason we exist is to glorify God, right? I'm pretty sure you've said that before. And yes, that is absolutely true. Yes and amen. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But it is clear in Scripture that we are made so that we would work and that we would have dominion and subdue creation. Especially if you're a Christian, think about this for a second. We, we pray this without even knowing. We pray, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As his image bearers, as his representatives on earth, are we not asking God that he would help us bring forth his purposes? His purposes, aka his will for us to work, create, build, and advance the kingdom? Is that not what we're asking? And when we think about it, it seems almost crazy for us to think that um, we, we should ask God for his will to be done. We know that God rules and reigns over all creation. There is not a single microcosm or subatomic particle that God doesn't say, this belongs to me. And so when we pray that your kingdom may come and you will be done on earth as in heaven, we are actually asking as a church, as his people, as his hands and feet, that God through us, through us, may continue, may, may work for the continual advancement of his kingdom, just as it was in Genesis 1, to bring his purposes to creation. If you're Christian, have you ever wondered when you got saved, why didn't God just take me home? Why didn't he just, just lights out, zap me, I'm out, like, Life would be a lot easier, right? I'd encourage you to read Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, especially verses 1 to 10. Um, it looks at the gospel. It tells us who God is and what he did for us to reconcile us to him. Right? He spends, Paul spends nine whole entire verses telling us who we are and who we are now after meeting Christ. And that all culminates in one verse at the end of verse 10. In Ephesians 2.10, it says this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. Why? That we should walk in them. He's prepared good works for us to do. The sovereign king of the universe, the one in control of all space-time, who has orchestrated your life and all of history, has uniquely wired you in your mother's womb giving you specific individual talents and desires and abilities and skills and, pl and uniquely placed you in the place you are, whether it's at work or uni or whatever it is, for you to do good work there. And this is not just for students and workers as well. This applies to 
Christian mums who look after their kids 24-7, grandparents who are retired, you are still doing work too. God has prepared good works in advance for you to do. And that's the crazy thing. God doesn't actually need us. He doesn't actually need us, but he chooses to use us. He chooses to enact his will through us. And this is nuts. When you think about it, you stop, just stop and think about it for a second. How unreliable are humans? We are so unreliable. And I can speak for myself here. We can be pretty, sometimes pretty poor at doing the work that God has given us, right? Fortunately for us, God chooses to use us. Fortunately for us, God is not like Thanos. Thanos from the Avengers films, especially from the, and at the end of the second Avengers film, right, when, he, when he hasn't defeated the Avengers yet and he hasn't got those Infinity Stones yet, what is, God doesn't grab his Infinity Gauntlet and say, fine, I'll just do it myself. God is not Thanos. In reality, God could. He doesn't need us. He is all-powerful, he is self-sufficient, he is completely volitional and is able to bring out anything, something out of nothing with just the breath of his voice. God could choose to literally snap his fingers and could honestly take us out loud and bring about creation just as it was meant to be, perfectly balanced as all things should be. But what does Genesis say? He made us in his image, like him, so that we would have dominion and subdue. So that we, yes, we would participate and take part in what the work that he started. Creation from day one was the very first daddy bring your kids to work day. And this is not just the mission of Christians. This was the task that humanity was assigned from the beginning of time. The original mission of humanity. This is why there is no such thing as sacred or secular work. This is why studying architecture matters. This is why networking computers matter. This is why playing piano and teaching music matters. This is why doing math as an engineer matters. This is why flipping burgers at Macca's matters. This is why we give road workers a hard time because they stand around doing nothing, but road workers building our roads, their work matters. When humanity creatively cultivates and responsibly rules, all work is sacred and all work matters. And you might be thinking, well, my work is pretty lame, Tran. Like, it doesn't give me any value at all. I'm not helping anything. Christian, in God's kingdom, just like there is no Jew or Greek, male or female, there is no white collar or blue collar. When God's, uh, your work matters to God, but the color of your collar doesn't. When God sees you, he doesn't see blue or white collars, but what he sees you, if you're a Christian in Christ, he sees you in the white robe of righteousness given to you by his son Jesus. This is, this is why our work is our mission. But there's a problem. There's a problem, you see, because... Deep down inside, inside all of us, we, and we know this, there's something wrong with humanity and work. 
There's something wrong with humanity and work. For the, last thousand, for the last few thousand years, humanity has tried to progress itself and has continued, tried to continue on this cultural mandate that we've seen in Genesis 1. And we've tried it all in the last hundred years. Um, we've seen it in Karl Marx's socialist utopia. Look how well Mussolini went, or, or Stalin. We, or Chairman Mao, for that example. We've also seen in the neglect and social pitfalls and injustices of our capitalistic society today. Don't get me wrong, yes, we have progressed in terms of food and medicine and technology and culture. We, pre- we have progressed in all metrics when it comes to the length of life and the quality of life. And yes, I'd rather live in 2018 than, than 1918. If it's just not just for the memes, but for, the, for medicine and technology, like, I'd rather live in 2018 for sure. But think about this for a moment. There was a time when you had to wait several months to get a communication across the world, and you had to wait for your crops to yield food for you to eat. But despite all the, 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 the instant gratification that we're able to get from FaceTiming our friends overseas or having our bellies instantly satisfied by Uber Eats, all these things are products of humanity. The culture and society that we live in is yet to have its deep, insatiable longings of the human soul quenched. We know there's something wrong with humanity and work. Ecclesiastes puts it this way, that we all have eternity written on our hearts. As humans, we are broken. And both humans and work have been tainted by the curse of sin. And this leads us to our our second point that we want to talk about today. Our work gives us opportunities for evangelism. Now, if if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, one of the first Bible verses that you would think about when we talk about evangelism is the Great Commission. That's probably one of the first things that pop out. And it says this in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. It says this. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It doesn't matter where you go, there's always going to be people who don't know Jesus. No matter where we are, we are to let our light shine because Jesus told us to. And, there's a, and in some of our workplaces, that's, that's, that's harder than others because some places won't let you talk about religion or proselytize the people, uh, particularly if you work in an environment dealing directly with the public or in like retail or in, in healthcare. But I wonder, how many of our non-Christian friends or colleagues at work know that we're even Christian? It's a sobering question. I wonder how many of our non-Christian uni friends or work colleagues know that we're even Christian. Oh, what'd you do for the weekend? Ah, oh, you know, I just, just hung out with some friends and some, some, some building. <laughs> some teaching in the Western church say that, um, that all you need to do is good works and be a good person, and that's preaching the gospel. A line you might have heard um, reinforcing this is uh, a quote supposedly by St. Francis of Assisi saying, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. And the intent behind this phrase is that we should live a life worthy of the gospel, and this is absolutely true. Don't get me wrong. That is true. 
But there are two problems with this particular phrase, this phrase, preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words. Firstly, St. Francis of Assisi never actually said that. (laughs) You can fact check that. Find me. Like, he didn't say it. But secondly, and yes, more, more importantly, yes, we need to live lives that are starkly different from the culture around us. We need to live lives that are different from society and do good works well. But we are kidding ourselves if we think that our good works alone and in of themselves are good enough to show people the way to Jesus. And if you think that your works are good enough, I'd say that that's pretty arrogant, man. Not only that, but it puts good works in this dichotomy or this battle of virtue against the proclamation of the good news. Colossians 3.17 says this, And whatever you do, in word or deed, it's not one or the other, word or deed, whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, we've talked about a bit about Genesis, uh, the, the cultural man in Genesis 1 and, and uh, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and some theologians believe that these two things are actually intrinsically linked, and I, I would agree with it. Uh, Greg Bill from the, uh, he's a, Greg Bill, a New Testament, and, uh, he's a New Testament and biblical professor, uh, biblical theology professor at Westminster Theological Seminary. He puts it this way. Um, he says that a culture, there's a cultural man, the cultural man is mo- the cultural mandate is much more than some instructions. Um, it says that uh, God has blessed them and commanded them to rule and subdue and to fill the earth. But when you think about it, what are they filling the earth with? What are Adam and Eve filling the earth with? They're, well, they're filling them with image bearers. Habakkuk 2.14 says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. What it's saying here that is that the knowledge that people everywhere would know about the glory of God. And so the cultural mandate is not just a list of instructions to just do things but, and to create culture, but it's actually a spiritual mandate. And Jesus actually appropriates it in the Great Commission, uh, makes it into a missions mandate in light of his announcement of the kingdom. He says for, the, for his disciples to go into Judea, into Samaria, and into the ends of the earth, to what? To fill the earth with more disciples. To fill the earth with image bearers that have been redeemed and restored to their father and to what they were meant to be. And some of us think that, oh man, we're just, <laughs> I'm just a worker, Tran. Like, I'm just a worker. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not... I'm not, I'm not savvy with my words. I'm not a missionary. I think I, I just need to be faithful at work, right? Yes and amen. I would agree that you need to be faithful at work. But Scripture is very clear. In 1 Peter 2.9, it says this. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own position that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into, marvelous, into his marvelous light. You aren't just a worker. To your boss and your colleagues, you might be. But to God, who are you? To God, who are you? God has chosen you to be a part of his family 
and to be a part of the royal priesthood. When you think about it, what does a priest do? What does a priest do? A priest essentially is someone who mediates people to God. And some people think that evangelism and discipleship is the work of the ministers or the pastors at church or people in paid vocational ministry. This cannot be further from the truth. Scripture is clear in Ephesians 4 that it says that here that the church has been given the apostles, the prophets, and the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers for what? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry and for building up the body of Christ. You are the priests. You are all the royal priests. You are the ones that mediate the lost to God. You point them to Jesus. Romans 10, 14 to 15 puts it this way. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. You are the priests. You are the ones that preach the good news. You mediate the loss to Jesus. But the problem is a lot of us feel like, man, it's hard, it's hard to bring someone to faith, right? It's hard to bring, I agree, it's hard to bring someone to faith. And honestly, as Christians, we, when we think about it, being a Christian in a workplace, we, we know that we're meant to be authentic Christians in our, in our, in our workplaces, and, and we feel this pressure that we must, we must do something to get these people saved, Right? And we, and, we, and, we, and we feel this, this sense of hypocrisy when we don't speak up about our faith or we get angsty because we're not being a good enough Christian. But bringing someone to faith is a goal of being on mission. But it's not the only goal of being on mission. Not to mention Scripture is also clear that God is the one who opens eyes. God is the one who puts the seed of regeneration in someone's heart. He's the one that works out salvation. Uh, the work of salvation is by grace alone, in Christ alone, through faith alone. Last time I checked, you weren't part of the five solas. <laughs> someone's salvation is not solely up to you. And I would argue that your goal isn't even to make Christians. Your goal is to point people to Jesus. God is the one who makes someone a Christian. We're just a part of the journey. I did this course a couple of years ago called The Sandline Process. It's a, it's a course for medical professionals, um, and it talks about impacting your workplace for Christ. Uh, and in this course, it constantly referred to this, this scale called the Modified Angle Scale by Dr. James Engel in his book, uh, Micro Decisions of Faith. And it's not just applicable for, for the health, but I think it's applicable for all workplaces. Um, uh, and, uh, and it's super practical and super helpful because it helps us understand someone's faith journey. The scale starts right at the bottom where a person is a cynic. And kind of goes to skeptic, and then it goes to spectator, and then it goes to seeker and believer and disciple. But most importantly, what the scale shows to us, it highlights that when you're on mission, particularly if you're in the workplace, it means that you are constantly pointing people to Jesus. You're, you're, you're constantly pointing people towards the disciple end of the scale. 
It's not your job to solely get them from, from point zero to point 100. This image, uh, this image illustrates that because just because you don't bring someone to faith doesn't mean that you can't push them towards faith. Your job as part of the royal priesthood is to mediate, is to point someone to Jesus and point them towards discipleship. And thank Christ, like, and thank God that God is not after our evangelistic performance. Like, we, can, we can breathe hard right there. God is not after our evangelistic performance. Because truthfully, straight up, if it was really up to us, the church probably wouldn't exist. God is, thank God that he's not up there on like, he's not checking the book of life KPIs and saying, man, trans brought two people to Jesus this week. Ooh, always preaching Jesus 15 times this week to non-Christians. That's, that's servant of the month right there. No, he's not after that. He's not after our results. You know what God's after? God is after your obedience. God is not after your results. He's after your obedience. Whether or not a person comes to the faith, it's not how well you execute your plan. It's up to God to execute God's plan. The words that we want to hear from God aren't well done and good, good and faithful overachiever. It's the words are well done, good and faithful servant. But a person will not come to Christ if all we do is sit on the sidelines and don't get our skin in the game, you are the royal priesthood. We are all obedient servants. Which leads me to my last point. Because we're obedient servants, our work is to glorify God. First um, Corinthians 10.31 to 11.1 1 says this. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of that many, be, that many may be saved. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. What's the way in which people may be saved? What's Paul saying here? Paul is telling the Corinthians here to act in a way <clears throat> to, act, to act in a way that glorifies God and in a way that does not inhibit the advance of the gospel towards non-believers. And the way you glorify God is by imitating Christ. And Paul tells them to do this in everything they do. Everything. And for us, this includes our work. Even the way we approach our work, in everything we do. We must work in a way that cannot be used as a barrier for people accepting the gospel. We must work in a way that glorifies God. Which makes for think which makes sense when you think about it, because can you imagine being at work, slacking, stealing company time, cheating paperwork, being rude to your colleagues or your boss? And then you come and say, and, hey, have you met Jesus, man? <laughs> what kind of hypocritical witness is that? <laughs> but more importantly, 
How have you glorified God with your time, with your energy, with your relationships, and with your work ethic? And I know what some of you might be thinking. You might be thinking, oh crap, that's actually, man, that's actually me. And I'm not, trying, I'm not trying to guilt trip you here. Let's be real. Like, if you've worked anywhere long enough, who hasn't given their workplace a hard time? Work is hard, and it grates against us, and we can act out poorly at work. You think about it, if you work one full time, that's 38 hours a week. That's, that's, that's more time doing anything else during the week, right? It's bound to happen. I get that, it's happened to me too. Even the most sanctified of us here, and the mature of us, will have days that we just struggle to work, and we struggle with work. And then we see examples like three-time world champion NBA superstar Steph Curry. He says this when he accepts his 2015 MVP award. He says this, First and foremost, I, would, I have to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, for blessing me with the talents to play this game. I'm his humble servant right now. I can't say it enough. How important my faith is to how I play the game and who I am. So I'm just, I'm just blessed and thankful for where I am. And he makes giving glory to God look easy because we see it on TV. And I love Steph Curry. <laughs> Some Christians might find this inspirational and are spurred on by his authentic, authentic Christianity on and off the court. But for some of us, we see that and we compare ourselves and we are discouraged because he's killing it on the court and he's giving glory to God. And I'm struggling with work and we think that we can't glorify it but glorify him because we're, because we're not killing it at work. But that, that, that's, that's the thing. Like God, again, is not after results. He's after your obedience. Uh, I'll say Colossians 3.17 again. It says here, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything, everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him. In Colossians 3.22-24, it says this, bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service, as people pleases, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. How freeing is it to know that we glorify God not by making our name for ourselves at work, not by how successful we are, not by doing just the right thing or saying the right words, but we glorify God by working heartily, fervently, diligently, conscientiously. And bear in mind here, Paul is writing to Christian slaves under Roman rule. Paul doesn't endorse slavery at all in the New Testament, but he doesn't tell them to protest and riot and demand the union to do something. There was no union. But what does verse 24 say? Verse 24 says, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. An inheritance? What about inheritance? It's the kingdom of God. You will inherit the kingdom of God and you will inherit the most prized and valuable being in the universe. That's Christ himself. 
When Christ is our everything, how much glory will we be able to give God when we work, especially when the tough going gets tough? When the rubber hits the road and you're under pressure, how are you going to manage in our words and deeds to give glory to God? We can only glorify God if we know that when we serve, we inherit if we know that we serve, inherit, and treasure Christ himself. That's the only way to glorify him, if we treasure him and inherit him. Before we finish, I want to just share a personal, bit of a personal story. Um, I've been working as a physio for like five years now, and to be frank with you, if you asked me to preach this sermon about four weeks ago, I, w- I don't think I would have been an hour to, um, because this is something I struggle with myself. Like, I'm naturally loud and outspoken, and hence why I'm preaching and stuff. But when you're in an environment when it's not cool to be a Christian, it's really easy to curl up into a ball. And my code of conduct says that I'm not allowed to proselytize. And when you do, like, long days and late hours, the work is at times mentally draining, and it's physically exhausting. And, you know, people are just people sometimes, right? It's been real. And the last few months, I've actually, I've, I've actually found work to be really bitter. Um, like, I will call myself salty, not salt of the earth, but more like salt bay, if anything. Complaining, whinging, whining all the time. You can ask my DG about this. Um, but we've been praying about this a lot more, and um, my attitude towards work is, is, is getting better. And I think, and I'm fairly vocal about what I do outside of work when people ask me. And... Um, but the thing I think that's been really, really affecting me, uh, helping me uh, with my attitude towards work is it's actually freeing to know that I work for the Lord and not myself. Because when you treasure him above everything else, the sting of work compares nothing to the surpassing weight of knowing Christ. In fact, we've also been praying as well, and I've been, uh, been able to have closer faith-like conversations with my colleagues at work and just talk about life and, um, with patience and seeing that they all need Jesus. And as the, I'm, I'm the person up here talking about this, and I know it's hard. I know it's hard for us, especially in our, in our cultural climate that we live in, uh, not just in regards to the typical Australian disposition towards work where, where it's just lazy, like we just want to do, we hate Mondays and we love Fridays, but in the cultural climate uh, against Christianity as well at the moment. But I want to leave you with this in Matthew 5, uh, 14 to 16. This is the life verse of our church, and I don't think it rings, it rings, more, it rings well with this sermon today. It says this, Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God is interested in how you do mission at work. He definitely is. He cares what you do for your work. And he cares how you do your work. But most importantly, he cares about who you are in Christ. And that when on mission at work, that you bring glory to him. We are his redeemed image bearers. We are his humble servants. We are his chosen people, a royal priesthood. 
Let us be his people this week and bring glory to him at our workplaces. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for who you are. Thank you for Christ, uh, what he did for us. Thank you for who he is, how glorious he is, that you've given us an inheritance in him. Pray, Lord, that for all of us at work this week, that you help us see you more. Help us to be authentic in our faith all the time, in all our works. Help us give you glory in the work that we do. Embolden us, Lord. Encourage us. Give us courage in the proclamation of your word. Help us be the salt and light you have commanded us to be. We need you to fulfill your mission. In fact, you've called us to this. You've called us to play a part of this. And we rest that you will complete your plan. We rest in your sovereignty and your grace. We thank you for the works that you are doing in us and through us. And we pray for for more people to to see you through our works and through our words. We pray all this for your glory's sake and for our joy in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.